Destination Medicine is a collaborative initiative of regional training hubs. With first-hand lessons learned from those who have gone before, this podcast is designed to assist and inspire anyone interested in pursuing a medical career in rural and regional Australia. Welcome to Destination Medicine. I'm Nicole Goodman. Dr. Louis Christie had a calling. He knew he had to be the sort of physician that could be a rock for people in crisis at their worst of times. Dr. Christie now works as a palliative care service senior medical officer for the Western New South Wales Local Health District. Louis talks to Jeff Waters about why he recommends palliative care as a career choice, as well as the benefits of living the regional dream. But he begins by outlining how he started off down his career path. It was a long, fairly long and convoluted journey to this point and not one that I'd seen coming at the beginning. So I was originally trained in emergency medicine. I'd always anticipated working in the country. I didn't see myself as a city doctor. And so I took up a cadetship with the Rural Cadetship Program when it first set up. I was sent out to country New South Wales in 1994 as one of the first rural cadets. When we arrived in Orange initially, the plan was to stay here for two years, work in the hospital and then look at going somewhere else. And at the end of two years, we'd enjoyed our time in Orange. We'd settled a bit. We'd made some friends. seemed like a nice enough place to stay. And so we decided to hang on and then started looking at what was needed in Orange, what sort of work we could do there. Initially, I'd thought about being a rural generalist, a procedural GP. At that stage, procedural GPs were on the way out. And so I had to think of something else and they needed an emergency physician. So uh, that struck me as being a bit similar to a, a procedural GP. So I went off and did the training for emergency medicine. I was away for three years doing that and then came back in 2000 and then worked essentially in the emergency department and on the care flight to retrieval helicopter locally for a few years. Wow, that sounds amazing, working on the care flight chopper. What was that like? It was an interesting experience. Uh, helicopters are a really good way to see real estate. So you, <laughs> you got to see a lot of stuff in a lot of different places, you know, very, very small places. And I think that brought home to me the fact that when people are working in rural settings, they need to have a good, solid skill set in basic medicine, fundamental, solid medicine, because sick people present everywhere. And some of the sickest people I've seen have been in really small towns, not through want of lack of medical care. It's just that they happen to be in the little small town when they got really, really sick. Okay, well, let's just backtrack a little bit here before we move on. And I'd like to ask you why it was that you found Orange so attractive. What was it about the place? Oh, there are a few things. The hospital community and the broader community were very welcoming. Uh, So when we first got here, it was a much smaller place than it is now. There were three interns, three residents and a handful of registrars. So you got to work very, very closely with the bosses. And you got to learn a lot of really interesting medicine from people who were very passionate about what they did. I think that's still true of the place. It's much bigger now. We've got 20 interns at a time. But the consultants are all very committed to rural practice. And the GPs in the town are all really committed to rural practice. And so there's the opportunity to learn 
interesting stuff with people who are very committed to what they do. We also liked the, the town itself, the environment. It was nice to be able to drive five minutes and get to work rather than, you know, 45 minutes and get stuck in traffic. And we found that our friends from Sydney were coming up to do stuff with us that we didn't have to plan a weekend to do. You know, if we wanted to go out to a winery on a Saturday afternoon, we could just get in the car and go and have a look at a couple of wineries and do a bit of wine tasting. And so the lifestyle, as long as you planned what you were going to do in your downtime reasonably well, the lifestyle was much better than what we'd had in living in Sydney. So apart from the lifestyle, which is an obvious attraction, and the fact that you got to learn about um, a broader array of medical conditions, etc., because you were in the country. What was it about emergency medicine that you liked to start with? Emergency medicine, there were a couple of things. The first one was the general application of it. So it was a very general approach to people. You took whatever came, and so you had to be clinically competent at a whole lot of different things. I also have always been attracted to wanting to help people at a time when they're in crisis. And one of the things about emergency medicine was it gave me the opportunity to engage with people on days when they were having, you know, the worst day of their life. And you can't necessarily make that stuff good, but if you engage with people in that environment well, then you can definitely make the difference between something that's a fairly intolerable experience and something that they can get through. You can be their angel from heaven. Oh, not quite. I, I think you'd, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I don't think I've ever been mistaken for that, but you never know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's the opportunity to show some practical humanity, I think, to people who are really struggling at a particular point in time. And the nature of clinical decision-making appealed to me as well because it required people to be able to make sensible decisions, often with limited information available to them. And so in many respects, that's similar to what I'm doing now. The same sort of things that attracted me to emergency medicine have also attracted me to the practice of palliative care. So for how many years did you work in emergency medicine, Louis? Well, all up through registrar and consultant time, I was about 14 years in emergency departments and the critical care space. So what sparked the change to palliative care? A number of things. A whole lot of things culminated in me realising that I needed to do things differently. You know, taking us back to the beginning of it, when I first started hanging around emergency departments, it was the mid-90s. And even 20 years ago, when I first qualified as a consultant, the idea that we needed to engage in our own self-care, the idea that we needed to be aware of our own emotional landscape and what was happening for us and we needed to manage that was a really foreign idea. And there wasn't a lot of thought given to it and there wasn't a lot of conversation about it. So the first thing that I did was that I was young, bulletproof and stupid and I did all the dumb things. So... It was a relatively busy emergency department. There were about 25,000 presentations a year. There were two of us on the emergency physician roster, and we were supported by some really excellent senior career medical officers. But what it meant was that the two of us did a one-in-two on-call roster, and we were also working with the helicopter as well. So we were a one-in-four for the helicopter. And if one of us went on leave, then the other one was one-in-one. And we did that because we had this idea that we were going to deliver excellent emergency care in the country. 
And we definitely did that for, you know, a period of seven years there. And the excellent emergency care came at a cost. And the cost was that I didn't see a lot of my family. My wife, when she's asked to reflect on those times, says that the experience was that I was unavailable or absent. Because I was on call so much, if we were going out anywhere, we had to go in two separate cars. And if I didn't show up to wherever we were going, then everyone just assumed that I'd been called in and that was that. I had a swag in the corner of the office and if I was still at work at 2am and due back at 8am, quite often I'd just roll the swag out and fall asleep in the swag and get up and do the shift the next morning. So we did a whole lot of stuff that was unsustainable and because we were providing really good cover, nobody picked up on that. Is it fair to assume that things have changed at the Orange Emergency Department now and that the doctors have a far better time? Yeah, yeah. The upshot of all of that was that we now have, I think, eight emergency physicians on the roster, and so the workload is more sustainable and more manageable. It's not to say that it's not a busy department. Um, I don't think there's an emergency department in Australia that's not busy, and we hear about that every day on the news. But it's a far more sustainable environment uh, and a far more supported environment than it was. And that's, again, not a criticism of anyone. That's as much a criticism of me being, you know, bulletproof young and, and invincible as anything else. Well, that was more than 10 years ago now, and you went off and completed a diploma of palliative medicine. Are you in a happier place now? Very much so. Very much so. It's interesting that the transition into palliative care, again, I'm a bit of a slow learner, so it wasn't something that I saw coming. I went off and did some administrative work, and I worked as the Director of Medical Services in Orange for a while as we transitioned to the new hospital. And as that process was coming to a close, the area chief executive at the time provided me with some really, really good professional mentorship. And that's been one of the really pivotal moments in my career. And so he, he was the one who suggested to me that he thought palliative care would be good for me. He said, you know, I think you'd be a good fit for this, and I'd never considered it. So he arranged for me to go and do some observerships with palliative care services in Sydney, and the work really clicked, and I, I suddenly felt, you know, this is the sort of doctor I was actually meant to be. You know, it's just taken me 20 years to work it out, and somebody had to push mm-hmm. me. What are the rewards of the job? Well, for a start, the contract is different. No one comes to me expecting that I'm going to save them. What they expect is that I'm going to provide them with good care and we're going to look after them and their family as they go through their illness and after they've died that we will continue to make sure their family's okay. And that's a contract that is a lot easier to uphold. Hmm. What sort of attributes do you need for that sort of job? It's a very similar sort of set of skills to emergency medicine actually. You have to be prepared to sit with people who are experiencing some of the worst days of their lives and be able to comfortably sit in that space and work with them and feel their distress without that distress overwhelming you or without it becoming about you. So if I was a medical student or a junior doctor or even an emergency medicine physician who was thinking about a change of direction, what sort of advice would you give to me? The advice I'd give, I think... There's a few things. Firstly, you need to have spent some time considering your own mortality. I think the next thing is not to lose your sense of mystery. We are very bad at medicine 
in accepting that there are things that we don't quite understand yet. And we may understand them one day, but there's a whole lot of this stuff that is incredibly mysterious and unique to individual experience. And so sometimes we have the answer and sometimes we know what's going on, but sometimes it's about being comfortable with the mystery of the fact that I don't quite understand this, and particularly some of the human aspect of it. I can't let that go. Give us an example of the mystery. Of the mystery, the mystery of dying. Well, we teach medical students, and if you Google it, it's fairly non-controversial, you know, uncontroversial as a fact, that if you don't eat or drink anything for about three days, you dehydrate and you die of renal failure. So some years ago, I was looking after a woman who was at the very end stage of life. So she was terminally unwell. She was asleep, as these people often are, and she was not rousing. She was not rousable. The most we would get was that occasionally when a family member came into the room and spoke, she would either raise an eyebrow or sort of tilt her head slightly in their direction, which suggested that she could hear them and was acknowledging that they were there. But other than that, she was completely unresponsive. She had a urinary catheter in. The family asked me at the beginning of this sort of period, you know, how long does this last? And I gave them the standard answer, which is usually about anywhere from hours to days, which is usually what happens. At the end of the second day, she stopped passing urine, so there was nothing coming out of the catheter. And we all took that as a sign that things were moving on and it wouldn't be too long. At the end of the first week, the family said to me, well, how long does this happen? How long does it take? And I said, well, usually two or three days, and, you know, we'll get there when we get there. At the end of the second week, they said, well, how long does this take? And I said, well, we'll get there when we get there. By the end of the third week, they were getting quite frustrated because they'd done the Googling. They knew she wasn't drinking. She was having no fluid in aside from maybe 20 mils a day in mouth care. There was no intravenous fluid going in. The catheter was there. There was nothing coming out. And she was just there. So she was peacefully in that state for 22 days before she died. And at the end of that, the big question the family had was, well, how is this possible? You're the doctor. We've read the stuff that says that you can't survive that long. How is this possible? And so we had to have a conversation about the fact that from time to time we are confronted by this mystery which defies our attempts to explain it. Dr Louis Christie, Palliative Care Service Senior Medical Officer at Western New South Wales Local Health District, Palliative Care Services. This is Destination Medicine. Thanks for listening. Regional training hubs are supported by funding from the Australian Government under the Rural Health Multidisciplinary Training Programme.